this week on the Backtable Podcast. You know, as we're trying to line up the snares, the important part about it is that if one is clearly more superior than the other, the angle at which you're going to have to take to line up the two snares becomes more and more severe. And so if your portal vein is really low compared to your hepatic vein, then in order to connect the dots, you're going to have to start like the patient's belly button, right? And you're just not going to have a needle that's long enough. Um, and so what you really want to do is before you gun sight, you want to make sure that the cranial caudal difference between your portal snare and your hepatic snare is not terribly significant because you know when you're torquing your ii to line those up and we'll talk talk about that in a second you don't want to have too severe of an angle Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things endovascular and minimally invasive. If you are a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all the previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or our website, which is backtable.com. Very easy to remember. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or reach out to us on Twitter. RadPad Radiation Protection Products, developed by physicians for physicians and clinically proven to protect during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your health on anything less. Trust RadPad Protection for all your interventions. See RadPad.com for more information and contact info at RadPad.com to learn more about radiation safety CME credits for you and your team. So we have today Dr. Emmett Linsky. We're going to be talking about advanced tips techniques um, the gun sight technique. So once you've uh, positioned your catheter in a segment of uh, uh, presumably the right portal and you've done a little contrast puff, so you've kind of outlined uh, the clot-filled uh, vein. And then, you know, we fast forward here where you've gotten jugular access and you're in a position to make some throws. What do you do next to like optimize? Like, do you just target the catheter? You, I mean, we mentioned 10 millimeter snare. So, you know, you have a couple options at this point. All right. So um, the first thing I do now, and this is not something I used to do, is I will actually angioplasty the main portal and right portal vein with up to an eight millimeter balloon. So I'll just go and I'm, what I'm trying to do is just really get better flow. So part of the reason why I use the eight millimeter balloon is I want to ensure that I have as much flow as possible into the portal vein and that it will potentially allow enough space for me to open up my snare all the way. The second reason why I do that is on occasion, if I'm able to open it up enough, I don't even need to use a gun sight technique. Um, now that I have flow into the portal vein, I can do, you know, at that point I could put up an ice or I can use my ice to make sure I can do a conventional stick. The other thing that that does and what I used to do is I on an occasion would try to directly stick the balloon uh, or I would try to directly stick the catheter. I think ice has helped me in those situations in which if I can realistically see a path to do a tips, then I'll do it conventionally. But very quickly, I find that if someone has thrombosed off their entire portal system, more often than not, the angles are not going to be favorable to get a tips in uh, in a conventional way. And that's a lot of the times when I feel like gun sight's a little bit easier to use. And, you know, to be fair, uh, there's a fair portion of these patients who are non-serotic. And the more I've done tips, the more I want to avoid using the colopento needle in, in that patient population just because it becomes so easy to shear the liver. 
Gotcha. So you you brought up something that I wanted to to mention. So if you're angioplasting the portal system and you have the balloon up, and then you can either target a snare, but you could also target the balloon. Um, does that not work out in practice? Like just targeting the balloon, then then throwing your wire into the collapsed section of the balloon, then pulling the balloon out? Yeah, I mean, I have one case where I did it, and I have like the greatest floral loops ever, and I will show that till the day I die. You know, the you know doing it, but you know. I can tell you, I also have uh, like a number of patients where the uh, needle bounced off the balloon and then went around and I spent a bunch of time trying to stick the balloon and being cute uh, and probably, you know, and I, I think I caused a pseudoaneurysm in an artery once because, you know, their needle is now skiving off the portal vein and, you know, hitting something else. So I think the more I got down to brass tacks, the more I was like, you know what, this is, you know, it looks nice when it works. It's awesome. I'm not going to lie. Like the visual is just, it makes you feel really like <laughs> proud of yourself. Yeah. But uh, like, you know, the more I do the gun sight, the more I'm like, wow, it's just a 22 gauge needle. Like, okay. It's, it's, it's pretty non-traumatic and, you know, yeah, I have uh, a former fellow who managed to puncture a phrenic artery somehow uh with a 22 gauge needle but that is literally one of the few one of the few instances of you know major complications caused by the gun sight and not caused by in my experience me attempting to do 20 or 30 sticks before reverting to gun sight and okay. i think that that's you know that was my you know i when I was early on i would try and try and try for like an hour trying to get into a portal vein before i would go to a gun sight and all the trauma that I caused and all the complications that I would see afterward related to the gun sight tips weren't actually related to the stick of the, you know, putting the snares in and doing that. They're related to the fact that I macerated that entire hepatic, you know, the hepatic hilum for an right. hour and a half and torqued the thing in, you know, before I did it. And so my inclination to go to the atraumatic gun sight is a little bit greater now uh just knowing that because i'm like all right it's a one you know if i can do it in a, a single 22 gauge pass like that's going to be better than 30 16 gauge passes sure so so then let's talk about your technique a little bit specifically so um you're in the right you're in the right portal you throw up what kind of snare and then i, I think it may come as a surprise to some people because i think some people use the gun sight technique and they'll still use the colopinto needle um, but you're using a 22 gauge. So talk a little bit about what you do and how you actually get the wire snared. Right. So I will go ahead and put a 10 millimeter snare um, up, usually through a four French glide cath uh, into the right portal vein. Um, then I will put usually a 15 millimeter snare into the hepatic vein. And depending on the relationship between the hepatic vein and the portal vein. So, you know, as we're trying to line up the snares, the important uh, part about it is that if one is clearly more superior than the other, the angle at which you're going to have to take to line up the two snares becomes more and more severe. And so if your portal vein is really low compared to your hepatic vein, then in order to connect the dots, you're going to have to start like the patient's belly button, right? And you're just not going to have a needle that's long enough. Um, and so what you really want to do is before you gun sight, you want to make sure that the 
cranial caudal difference between your portal snare and your hepatic snare is not terribly significant because you know when you're torquing your ii to line those up and we'll talk talk about that in a second you don't want to have too severe of an angle so what i will do is i'll go and i'll take my you know 10 front sheath i'll put it into the hepatic vein i'll put my you know six french 15 millimeter snare into the hepatic vein and then i will uh line up the two snares so the two circles overlap one another uh fluoroscopically and usually that is a slightly you know caudal cranial angle and usually a slightly kind of you know what is it rao is usually what you'll find yeah so you have the eye tilted to the right and then towards the feet exactly right okay uh, and that will line up the two circles if you're not getting a great view on occasion i will use a the colopento needle in order to bring the hepatic vein system more inferior so you know i think that we've all had the experience where you go down you put your you you you're going to do your tips and all of a sudden your needle goes in and the whole system drops significantly and you're like well wait a second like my needle is now below my portal vein well you can take advantage of that by making sure you know if your needle goes in and it drops your hepatic vein you can actually put the snare through the colopento needle and now all of a sudden it becomes much easier to line up your hepatic vein snare and your portal vein snare so now that i have those two lined up i take a 22 gauge by 20 centimeter chiba needle and you go through both circles and that way you've now accessed the portal vein you've accessed the hepatic vein um, and then it becomes a process of making sure that you can you know have definitive and secure access into the portal vein and so there are a number of different ways to do the next step but the the way i like to do it is i will get a long um 018 wire that's 300 centimeters and i will pass it um through my chiba needle and so i you know have that wire in and then i will snare the tip of that wire uh with my hepatic vein end and i will pull that wire all the way out and all the way out the jugular access. And so now I have the patient flossed from the abdomen through the portal vein, through the hepatic vein, and now out the neck. And then- yeah, Can I just ahead. back you up and ask you a little bit about that? So once you've stuck with the 22 gauge uh, Chiba, you feed the wire, and then I assume like you're just feeding it into the parenchyma a little bit, and then you back the, the Chiba needle up a little bit to then engage the snare? That's exactly right. Yeah, you okay. you, know, you get your- You've proven fluoroscopically that you are through the snare with your needle. Then you pass your wire, you expose the tip of your wire, and then that way when you grab, you're not grabbing the needle, you're actually grabbing exposed wire and not needle. That's that's actually a very good point. So once you are now flossed all the way out, it becomes a process converting that system into into a system that either goes into the portal vein or then is flossed all the way out the splenic vein. I tend to like to floss all the way out the splenic vein. Uh, and so in this instance, I tend to like to floss all the way out the splenic vein 
there are a number of different really good ways to do this. Uh, and so it, it's a little bit of kind of dealer's choice. What I do at this point is I will take a 150 uh, 2.4 prograde microcatheter and I will pass that over my ONate wire and I will then pass it through the one snare and then through the portal vein snare so and back my needle out even further. So now I have a microcatheter and wire that's coming from the neck through the you know, hepatic vein, through the portal vein snare, uh, and then you know into the hepatic parenchyma. At this point, I will actually remove my wire altogether. So I just have the microcatheter that is going through, and I will snare the microcatheter because it has such a nice floppy tip, and I will snare that from my splenic end and pull that all the way out. And now I have the patient flossed from the neck out the spleen with my microcatheter. And so why the, uh, what, I guess one of my questions is why the extra step with the microcatheter and not just uh, snare the other end of the wire and pull it through because you're snaring like kind of a stiff part of the wire and it just doesn't, it doesn't play out in practice as well as. It, it won't fold. Yeah. That's, okay. that's been my experience is that the wire just doesn't fold. And the, you know, the distal 20 centimeters of a microcatheter are super duper floppy and go really, really nicely. The other option that you have with that ONate wire is to take a to take a catheter, any catheter over that. Uh, you know, you could even go with a uh, like a Navacross is something that uh, some of my partners have used. And you go into the portal vein, uh, you know, over your wire, and then you take the wire out, and you know your catheter is now in the portal vein, and then you just snare. Uh, an 035 wire and you then have kind of flossed out the spleen with an 035 wire. Um, the reason why I'm not as comfortable doing that is that I have had trouble getting an 035 catheter uh, through that on occasion. Uh, and so, you know, you can sometimes pre-dilate or this or that. I just have never had a problem with the microcatheter and that's the way I do it. But the any other way to get across, I think, is very fair. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, once you've once you've flossed and you have access, like in the jug, and then you have like some form of splenic access, like you really have different options as to how you're going to take like the access right. and bring it from the jugular to the spleen. I get it. Right. Um, yeah. You kind of won the game at that point. Yeah. Right. Right. So, is there any utility in talking about? Are there are there any situations where um, that's it's like a not exactly a gun sight technique, but basically like you throw the snare up in the portal vein and then you stick it with your colopinto needle. Like I've, I've seen that talked about sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely do that as well. Part of the reason why I don't do that as much is that once I have the ice, I don't necessarily need the target as much because I know my anterior posterior throw. Uh, but certainly, you know, it, once you have a target in the uh, portal vein, if you can make a good throw, right, and you know your anterior posterior angles are good, then it is very reasonable to make a throw with your colopenta needle right through the snare and then just snare your wire out that way. Uh, and that okay. certainly saves a step. And if you're confident you're getting in or and you're confident your anterior posterior is good, then you're fine. I think what I found in those instances is that about 50% of the time it went just like we talked about, right? You stick the balloon or you stick the snare and you floss out and you're done. 
And the other 50% of the time, you're not quite getting the interior enough. And you make like 30 or 40 passes and you curve your needle till the cows come home. And then you're like, you know what? I should have just gun sighted. Uh, right. And so, you know, you know, part of my comfort level with the part of it is my comfort level with gun sight. And part of it is being burned by traumatizing the liver. And, you know, my worst complications have always been gun sight tips, you know, or patients that I ended up having to go gun sight on. And it's because of the maceration of the liver prior. And, you know, when I look at my subsite of gun sight that I just knew I was going to have to gun sight, like my Bud Chiari patients who you just know that there's no other way to, to do it. You know, you're not having complication, those patients. And, you know, the patients that you're not actually sticking the liver with a colopinto and you're just going only straight gun sight, you're not having those complications. And you kind of parse those out and you realize, well, you know, oh yeah, I did spend like 40 sticks trying to get anterior enough. And, you know, that's, that's where I think I've gotten burned in the past. All right. That's fair. So there, I mean, we, we kind of talk about it in the setting of like portal vein uh, recanalization, but now that you've got through and through access, I mean, this, this could be for uh, a, a lot of different scenarios or not a lot, but a specific number of scenarios. And then I don't know if like we have the time to tackle them all, but do you want to just talk about now that you've had, now that you've got like your uh, 035 system in um, like what the next steps are as far as like, you know, forming the tips. I mean, really at this point, it's just, you know, now that you have access, you're just laying it all down. Yeah. You're just, yeah. The nice thing is about the, you know, with the, the portal vein thrombosis tips, the the considerations that I think are important here uh, once you have the through and through access are one, you don't never have to give up access, right? You can put your marking pigtail down and just do a run through your splenic sheath and a run through your neck sheath. So, you know, you're literally just putting a ruler in. So you don't necessarily have to do anything like that. Once you get your sheath down, you can lay out your tips. And I think the only consideration here and where I've gotten burned a couple of times is it becomes in a chronically thrombosed system, it's very hard to pull back your tips. Um, it doesn't kind of just slide back nicely into the tract, right? Because this is all kind of chronically thrombosed. So in these instances, I will try to actually lay my stent down exactly where I intended to sit with the understanding that I'm going to have very, very little space to pull back. Um, and I've gotten burned a couple of times on that with having to extend my stent or having the the uncovered portion uh, more into the portal system than I intended because of that. So I think that that is, uh, you know, the, the main consideration uh, there is that just be careful because you're not going to be able to pull back as much. Okay. So now that we've, we placed our tips, now we have to discuss what to do with the splenic access. And I, I think splenic closure is one of these important, like it's one of the foundations of splenic access. And, and I think that good access originally sets you up for good closure, like we talked about earlier, um, just to recap, like good parenchymal tract that leaves you options or at least leaves you um, territory to uh, put some closure material. So let's talk about the different options um, and whether or not you've gone through them and kind of what you've settled on now. Yeah. So, you know, I think that most of us who do this will agree that you need a combination of coils and or plugs and gel foam. I think that that's a, a kind of a, a pretty agreed upon assumption. So there's not so there's not a lot of people who are, who are just pulling splenic access and then just calling it a day. No, 
Okay. No. I, you know, you, you, that, you know, I think that you can try and you can hold pressure for a long time, but realistically you're going to get a bleed, uh, when you've done that. And we've, you know, unfortunately experienced that when someone, you know, have breathed out the sheath or, you know, the accidents happen, right? Like, like, I think that there's enough experience there where you're like, okay, you know what, if we're putting in a, you know, an eight French hole into the spleen, we want to be closing it with something. We have tried coils and gel foam. We have tried uh, plug gel foam. I benefit from being an institution where the cost isn't uh, really held against me. And so I tend to uh, use uh, one of the MVP plugs from uh, Medtronic. Um, and so the what I do is I, use, I will um, pull my sheath back uh, to the degree of my access point and then through my sheath, I will load a uh, five to uh, MVP plug through a four French glide cath. And so I will get a picture under fluoroscopy and ultrasound of my catheter, my plug, and my sheath tip to tip to tip. And then I will deploy the plug just outside into the splenic vein. And then under ultrasound, I will actually pull the sheath and the plug and the catheter into the tract. And so my goal is to leave the tip of the plug just inside the parenchyma, but really right at the axis into the vein. And basically with that, I'm holding that plug on, you know, its deployment wire and then through my sheath, I then basically inject very, very, very uh, concentrated gel foam slurry and back the sheath out uh, all the way to the splenic capsule. And so basically I have a sail or, you know, a, a full plug that then is then backed up real time uh, with a, you know, and I take two packs of gel foam in seven cc's of contrast. So it's it's very very thick. Yeah, pretty dense. I preload it. Yeah, you know I preload it uh, in my catheter so I don't have any dead space, and then I puff that back as I come out, and then that holds the plug in place because you know it's still attached. Uh, so you're not too worried about um, you know having the plug fly into the 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 splenic system. I had a fellow shoot a plug into a two year old's portal vein, so uh, hmm. I stopped. Yeah, that was not the most fun getting that out. But, you know, having experienced that, I, I learned from the splenic system uh, to, to not deploy the plug unless you are the one who's uh, giving the gel foam or, or you know, just about any other situation. I'm going to hold on to that plug until I'm done kind of pressurizing the system. Once that nice plug of gel foam is behind, I do that all the way to the capsule and then I hold it. And the nice thing is you can actually see under ultrasound and you can see under fluoroscopy that that contrast and gel foam is just sitting there. And if that's sitting there and as you're coming out, you're filling very small uh, splenic radicals, then you can just give a little bit of extra and embolize that portion of the spleen. If you are uh, and then you kind of continue it out to the capsule and then you can hold. And you also know that you're holding effectively because that's really not getting washed away. Uh, and you can see that the track stays um, closed. And then I'll hold uh, manual pressure for 20 minutes. I think it's a little bit of an overkill, but I hold under ultrasound. And I just want to make sure that 
uh, you know, that that I've put down has a chance to set before I'm kind of allowing it to to go just about, you know, anywhere, anywhere I want. And, you know, I've done, yeah, I think the last time we looked, we had done like 58 of these or 59 of these in sequence and hadn't had anything but that one bleed that was actually pretty recent on a guy whose INR was three. Um, And, you know, I think part of it was I didn't use enough gel foam, but, you know, I think that you're, there is going to be some bleeding and you have to be honest with yourself that it can happen and have a low threshold for CT. But I think that, you know, if you're closing with coils and then doing the gel foam behind it like that, I think you're going to be equally as good. Part of the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant to use the coils, uh, even though they're significantly cheaper, is I feel like, A, I could push them forward with my gel foam uh, pretty easily. And I feel like as thick of a gel foam as I'm using, I want to be able to take advantage of really filling my tract. And I feel like with the coils, the gel foam is going to go through and go into the portal system before you can really get as good of a uh, plug formed with the uh, the gel foam as you're coming out the other way. Okay, I get that. So that makes sense. So with the, the Medtronics MVP, you basically put that at the junction or basically very close to your entry point at the splenic hilum. You said you're you're able to visualize that pretty well under ultrasound and a combination of ultrasound and fluoroscopy, and then just plug it with a real thick gel foam on the way out and then pressure. And then you've also seen people uh, close with a combination of gel foam and coils. What else have you, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I've seen people close with. That's about it, right? Yeah. I mean, those, those would be the main two. And, okay. you know, I think the pushable coils are nice because they're really cheap. I mean, you could use as many of those as you want sure. and, yeah. you know, be cheaper than an MVP. Now, if you're using detachable coils, Different. well, then, you know, you may as well just use the plug. Uh, but I like the fact that the plug acts as like a little bit of a sail, you know, in, in as much as it kind of like that open cap catches that gel foam and it really kind of seats it in there nicely. And then because it's caught it, you can actually add more gel foam. And because you're still kind of holding on to it, as you're backing out, if you are filling a side branch that you crossed, you can actually inject enough gel foam to embolize that side branch on your way out uh, and not be as uh, afraid. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. So we've covered the ice catheter, gun sight technique, splenic access, anything else? I mean, you kind of mentioned some other things, but like, they're, I feel like they're almost podcasted in themselves. Like if you're doing like, superior like if you're gonna do like a thrombolysis case in addition to all this shit yeah yeah you could do something on portomesenteric you could do a podcast on portomesenteric <laughs> thrombosis yeah we're doing that a lot more because you know it's not only that but before that the post management on these people because they're young and healthy like what do you do tips revision we kind of touched on you could almost make a podcast out of that i totally think you could i think tips revisions like in and of itself like a different beast yeah, that's a that's a whole a whole thing, and then you can get into a little bit of the data with uh, ultrasound. So I think that that would be a worthwhile one to grab someone to do. Is like you know, you know, how do you follow your tips? You know, how much you believe the ultrasound? When do you revise? You know, what the data is there? I think that's a good one off of this. And then you could even go like as far of like you could do a specific podcast on like B tips BRTO versus. So, and you know who would be a really good one? Like if you talk to Saher, yeah, uh, 
you know, he, he is, um, he's a very good proponent. And I tend to agree with him on this of using, like not doing a BRTO, like a large BRTO alone, but using tip, like a very small tips in conjunction with BRTO to prevent portal vein thrombosis and to get better outcomes. And I think he speaks very well on that. And from, you know, our experience together and then individually, it's, uh, it plays out. Okay. You can get one on portal vein, portal vein disasters. I mean, I I can just, I can go on and on. (laughs) Yeah. I could could talk about splenic acid all day (laughs) for days. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I, I actually had a guy in clinic that I just saw who I spent like three sessions, 21 total hours getting a tips in him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, you know, chronic portomesenteric thrombosis from the age of like two uh, he had had a Segura procedure where they devascularized his stomach and he had like persistent GI bleeding. So I like went transplenic to try to recan him, but the Segura like tapped out, like, like <clears throat> his splenic vein was like a loop-de-loop, couldn't get around. Oh, wow. And he, and then I couldn't recan the portal vein. So then he had like one collateral going in and then I had <clears throat> a gun sight. I had to direct stick the collateral under ultrasound in like just the middle of his mesentery and then get like a four French glide cat up. <laughs> And then I had to, and then I had to gun sight into the collateral. And then because he had like a weird angle, I had to direct stick his hepatic vein and then snare myself into the hepatic vein, you know, <laughs> and pull down and then gun sight. It was like, I mean, that's commitment to the craft. Yeah, that was, he was from, I forget where he is from, but yeah, I, I have like this one, you know, I have some crazy ones. One guy from North Carolina who his portal vein had been out for 35 years. That was like my... He got radiation for pancreatic blastoma as a kid. Uh-huh. And like he came for multivisceral transplant. And it was just like this. They're like, all right, we're taking him to surgery an hour, like for an emergent multivis. Get a tips in, bring his portal pressure down by one, and you will have won the game. So like he had no portal vein. And so like get intrapatic portal. So I went across and I did like the tips into the right, but then my wire and working wire went into the left. Okay. And there was no main. Yeah. So I put the tips in, like just kind of into the right. Yeah. And then my wire, like I just fiddled with it and I flopped the wire down and I like recan this splenic vein and he didn't get a multi-bis. And then that's like three years ago. Oh my God. He's like 35 years old. That's pretty good. So that was, <clears throat> Dude, that's the, that's the kind of thing that you can, I mean, I don't know that, that those are the kind of cool stories that I think that, um, people need to hear. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys like, I'm probably, if you go to like SIR and go to the tips session, yeah. I'm sure you guys are talking about it. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. I had a guy come up from Emory the other day, and you know, like he he said he had had diarrhea for like four hours, and they like tried, they had some trouble, uh, and like I tipped him, and he's like, I had not pooped normally in seven years, and he's like, I'm pooping normally. It's like a big deal. He's like, I have no doubt. I was like, I now know that if your tips is not working, your poop will not be normal. That's like the best thing for me. Like, <laughs> That's a good indicator, right? Yeah, so. actually, we'll have to we'll have to get that on the show. Uh, all right, guys, we covered a big topic. We talked about uh, the ice catheter, gun sight techniques, splenic access, and you know, delved into all three of those topics. And it's not completely comprehensive. There's plenty of other stuff that we like to delve into. If you guys have more topics on portal hypertension that you want to hear about, just email us, tweet at us, or get in touch with us in some way, and we'll try and cover it. Um, so, to the audience today, thank you for listening. I know tips can be daunting um, and they can be difficult procedures, but I hope that some of the discussion that you heard here today 
will bring about some unlocks and some uh, time-saving and hopefully safety-increasing techniques that might uh, help you and your patients. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to support the show, here are two easy ways. First, take one second and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. This helps uh, platforms like iTunes or Spotify know that you, our audience, value what we're doing and you're interested in getting our latest content as we're producing it. Second, if you're really getting a lot of value from these podcasts, please go to iTunes, leave us a short written review. This helps us in a lot of different ways. Uh, Plus, we love getting the feedback. That wraps things up. We'll see you next time on the Backtable Podcast. Thank you again, Emmett.